Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week on Around the Coin, Mike Townsend, Brian Romley, and Faisal Khan discuss Brian's trip to the White House, meeting with economic advisors in a collaborative plan to improve America's payment industry. Good morning, guys. Brian Feisel. Um, this will be another exciting episode of Around the Coin. Today we'll be uh, chatting about the uh, Wiki Project and Brian's endeavors in the White House. How are you guys both doing? Doing good. How about yourself? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, so news as of late, Brian is hanging out with Barack Obama. Brian, what are you, what are you up to? <laughs> yeah, we Sorry, go way folks. back. Well, you know, um, I had a small part in a um, little project. I was discovered through Quora, through um, one of the chief um, economic advisors to the White House over, you know, just general discussions about payments and and such. And um, we had uh, drifted onto the conversation about some of the challenges uh, that small businesses are are facing in in these times, I mean, what are the the biggest problems? And of course, we centered around payments and and such. But one of the things I focused on has always been a problem I've I've seen in the industry. I faced it as a small business owner for many years, uh, dealing with very large companies and and government, uh, you know, as a government contractor with some of my projects. And Brian, uh, before the pro- you, Brian, I'm sure. curious. Before you kind of dig into details. How did that actually work? Did the White House send you a letter? Do no, does no, the no. economist it, give you a call? I mean, I think it, that's it was, kind of an it interesting. It was very, thing. very informal. Uh, just got an email. Were you consulting uh, for them? Did, uh, no. Did, Quora, I, did they send you a Quora message? Uh, no, I, I I think they went in through a LinkedIn, and um, you know, uh, I, I just it was very informal. Hey, just wanted to shoot the breeze. I didn't really originally think it was very serious because it just. You know, didn't you know? You don't expect that, but uh, turned out to be an incredible guy. Uh, you know, I was talking to up there, Brett, and uh, he. Um, Can you say who he, it is? Yeah, yeah, a, a gentleman by the name of Brett Taxon, and he's um, one of the White House um, economic advisors, oh, and nice. um, just incredible, brilliant individual uh, working within uh, uh, the White House staff on economic issues and. Um, it feels very much like a startup environment, uh, and I mean that in the most positive po- possible way. Just a very can-do, let's see where the problems are, and let's see how we can address them. 
And, you know, I've had absolutely zero contact with anybody within politics. I stay very out of politics. And uh, I don't see this as political at all. I see it as, you know, the government getting work done. And, um, and that's what basically happened. We, we had some conversations and um, there had already been some ideas, uh, I guess, within his group. And, um, you know, my, my thing was just how much trillions of dollars were, are floating in the economy in this sort of netherworld where it's not actually, it's due to the small and medium-sized business, uh, usually within net 30 days. This is called net 30 terms. And typically, for those that have not worked in this type of area, is that when very large corporations or government, uh, where it can be the military uh, or, or such, um, place an order, they send a purchase order. And it's a very cleanly defined document in most cases. It tells you exactly what they're ordering, what they're going to be paying uh, per unit, when the expected shipment date is, and all the other particulars. Uh, And generally, it'll say net terms, 30 days. It's very rare to see stated net terms beyond that. And sometimes you'll see it in less days. Um, And... um, so you take that and you verify it. And then if you're a manufacturer, you're making, let's just say, metal parts or something like that for Apple, you start manufacturing. <clears throat> but, um, you know, let's just say it takes 10 days to produce $1 million worth of parts. You now have effectively $1 million in, you know. So are they, your, are they talking about, you know, um, creating a law that says, or are they talking well, about building a system that makes it easier or what's the well it's a, it's a combination of things first um, let me let me finish where it happens what happens here you send the the product to the company that placed the order right you do that within the agreed upon agreed upon specified terms and you expect to get payment usually still by check um, within 30 days and um, a lot of people don't understand it they think you know the the quagmire here is the payment option it really isn't. What had happened since, I've detected this since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution when you study the history of how net terms and purchase orders have developed. The extended net terms or the unagreed upon net terms have slowly built since the 1950s, primarily the audio, the auto industry. Uh, the auto industry would use thousands and thousands of small businesses to do different parts. And slowly but surely, they would l- let net 30 become net 60, and then net you know, 90, and then net 120, and then in some cases a year. You're, you're working a year delayed in payments. It's such an and, incredibly high time. It's unbelievable that that just slipped throughout the course of history. Well, you know, well, that was a lot of reasons for that. What happens is it's almost like something you, you're caught between a rock and a hard place type of quagmire. All right. You're a small business and, you know, Apple calls up, for example, and says, we want to buy, um, you know, 10,000 widgets a day, you know, and here's our purchase order. And you're like, wow, that's, um, you know, by far, by 45 billion percent, the largest customer they ever have. And, you know, Apple will do some vetting to make sure you do have the ability to manufacture. They verify all this. But let's just say you have this capability. And again, I'm not picking on Apple. Apple is actually one of the participants here. So they are trying to be a, a good corporate citizen. What happens is typically... Uh, 
the net 30 days will actually wind up drifting, even in the best relationships, to at least two months, you know, maybe, uh, maybe three months. And is that the inability to pay, or the deci- I mean, no. it must be a conscious decision on these merchants. Or I, I, the, I would think more like economic uh, arm, twist, arm twisting, right? Yeah, it, it is in a sense. It, it, it almost becomes like the 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 un the uh, ten billion pound elephant in the room that you can't talk about. Because basically, what happens is, if you're a small producer and you you really covet this large relationship, what are you to do? if the terms start extending beyond what you expected. Now, the the worst operator that I've been able to t- uh, detect in doing this was Walmart. Walmart not only negotiates people down to the lowest possible uh, you know, profit margin, they also tend to pay very, very far out. In some cases, they don't even pay. Here's what they do. They'll say, I'll take your product, put it on the shelves, and uh-huh. we'll have it out there for 10, 15 months, and then I'll send you back what we don't sell and I'll pay you for what we did sell. Wow. <laughs> you know, and this this model is very harsh on small businesses. If you've invented a new widget and you said, oh man, this should be on the shelves of every Walmart. I've seen this time and again for ever since I've consulted with businesses, 30 years. So I have this great idea to put something on the shelf of Walmart. So they go down to Arkansas. Literally, they they find out how to do it all. And then they're heartbroken when, you know, First off, they're told exactly what their margin is going to be because by that time, companies like Walmart will know exactly what your costs are. They'll know who the vendor is that's making it in China. They'll know exactly what your your margins are going to say. This is what we're going to pay. They're not going to tell you what your margin is, but they're going to say, this is what we're going to pay. This is how many we're going to need. And this is when we're going to pay it. And uh, and it's it's a very, very tough business. But getting back to the net terms. So now you have these big relationships that you're trying to covet as a small business, what do you do? You make a demand call, you know, you, you get a bill collector, you know, it's, you almost have to grin and bear it. So what, what the White House is doing is uh, a, on, on Friday, a uh, presidential um, order was signed, which is essentially an agreement. Well, actually two things took place. One thing uh, is called supplier pay. And it's an agreement of, uh, I think it was about 40 odd companies uh, uh, 26 companies, and probably by now 40, including Apple, IBM, FedEx, Honda. Yes, and and they've made a pledge. Now, it's a pledge, but it's it's not it's currently it's not any rule of law. But it, it, it you know it could go down that road. It's moving uh, in the right direction. <laughs> yes, because it's a pledge that they're going to pay in net 15 days, and this is phenomenal. Net 30 would have been great. Net 15 is amazing. And it starts. And it starts from when? Uh, now immediately. From yeah, I mean, all of uh, Apple uh, is definitely in big leadership here, and they're saying effective, you know, at the signing of the agreement, I guess, uh, that they're going to start uh, funding within that 15 days. This will incredibly charge the economy, you know, with, with funds that have been in limbo because they're unassigned funds. I mean, the company, even though they're making perhaps interest on it, I mean, it's not really doing anything in the economy. You inject that right into the small business community. Uh, you're going to see hiring. You're going to see all sorts of things that um, you haven't seen before. Because some, I'm not saying the Apple case. Economic but some traction, of these, basically. Yes, yes. And it, but more importantly, it's brought attention to this and it allows us to actually talk about it. Right. Because the last thing you ever wanted to do as a small business is to publicly stand up and say, 
you know, IBM hasn't paid me in a year. Mm. Okay, guess what? You're never going to see another purchase order from IBM unless you got something yeah. that's yeah. incredibly valuable. So now it's, the, it's uh, sort of open. Do you think the corporate companies realize that this is coming full circle for them? You know, if they make the lives of their suppliers better, then they're essentially going to have access to better quality <coughs> um, parts and, and all the supplies that they're purchasing? This is exactly why the leadership of uh, President Obama on this is very, very important because what they're trying to do by bringing all this together, and it's not just some political you know, show, they're trying to literally say, listen, this creates a healthier ecosystem. Mr. Large Corporation, Mrs. Large Corporation, you will actually have a much better ecosystem if you pay attention to the forest floor, if you will, all these millions of suppliers, because it's more robust for everybody in the economy. And it's not anything artificially generated. It's just people following on their stated commitments. And, you know, I guess over time, it could become an enforcement. I mean, I'm not saying that that's a direction. I have no idea. But over time, uh, the government could do this. In Europe and in France in particular, it became a, a, a legal uh, requirement. You had to pay an X number of days or you faced huge penalties as a corporation. It always seems like whenever, whenever the government gets involved in a, in a regulatory perspective, it's, it always seems to go the wrong, the uh, negative direction. Unintended right? and, and I'm circumstances, glad, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that that wasn't the result. But um, I, this is I, amazing. I have, the way I have it was two done. questions yeah. on this thing. Number one, how, how is it enforced? And number two, because of the billions and billions of dollars that they now suddenly have to pay up immediately, how would it affect the companies uh, themselves? Because this was essentially, uh, cost of funds was zero for them. And, you know, they were sitting on suppliers' money and u- utilizing that for operations. Well, first off, all the companies mentioned are extremely healthy, all right? And I think the very healthy companies are going to jump into this just because they look like much better corporate citizens. The enforcement is really public embarrassment, I guess, is really what it comes down to. It's not like there are rules of law that are going to enforce this, but there is the pretense that if this becomes obvious, now that it's out in the open, more obvious, there's certainly going to be a lot more... Uh, pressure to be had. And I think by these companies standing up and taking leadership in it uh, is is amazing. I mean, it's it's really historic. And the other thing that took place was uh, something called quick pay. Quick pay was a federal government uh, rule that had been around for a while. And unfortunately, during the budget crisis, quick pay was deactivated. And what quick pay do- did was it said that if you're uh, the government, um, any division of the government, you know, whatever department of defense, et cetera, uh, you should pay your small contractors uh, t- in a timely way. There, now, I, I don't pretend to understand all the minutiae of the law, but the detail was you had to be within uh, a certain range of the specified uh, terms of the purchase order. When the budget crisis took place, that was deactivated. Net terms started to explode. And um, President Obama reactivated that uh, under executive order. So that was a very positive. These two things stand very strongly. But uh, heretofore, there was never a private sector version of this. And frankly, it is such an underground sort of thing. Um, so many people didn't know it even existed as a problem that, um, you know, it's now out in the open to be discussed. And I think you'll see more companies jumping aboard saying, you know, we want to support it. It is also going to make it very hard for companies, 
you know, I mentioned Walmart. Walmart had, and they've even publicly admitted this, that some of their uh, negotiating tactics uh, had caused deep economic uh, problems for s- some small companies in the United States. Uh, some were driven out of business. So, and, um, so this could change. It could be a shift. I'm curious, before the show, we kind of dug into some of the history there um, with just-in-time inventory. Where, what, was, what did this look like um, way back in the day? Was there sort of an evolution to the point where we're at now that led to the, the White House making this decision or rallying these companies? And the second, the second thing I, I'd want to discuss is, was there other things that you talked about with the chief, chief uh, economic advisor? You know, were there other sort of um, you know, macro uh, projects they wanted to eventually tackle? Anything else coming down the pipeline? Well, I'll do the, the first one. First. Yeah, the history. Um, history, well, letters of credit and purchase orders have been around since the Industrial Revolution. Even prior to that, they were called different things. Uh, you know, insurance companies and the Dutch uh, with, um, you know, the worldwide shipping operation, the, the uh, East India Company and the British. I mean, these, it goes way back there. I mean, you got to remember some of these uh, spice companies, uh, you would buy the spice as a merchant but you would be pretty much having to go to an insurance company and make sure that ship is going to return because it's sometimes 12 to 14 months later, you know, going around the, uh, you know, uh, Horn of Africa or, you know, however they were, you know, transversing the, the globe. And um, that's how Lloyd's of London really got started. And, and a lot of the, uh, the Dutch insurance companies, they, they did phenomenal because they would actually go out there, examine the boat, know who the captain was, and then install some of their own people on that boat to make sure that their interests are wow. being cared for. You know, and you know, it was some say it was a rigged system because some of the people who got the no insurance, the boat never showed up, but pirates showed up and they knew exactly where it was. So anyway, long story short, um, uh, the idea of a letter um placing an order with no money uh, requires a lot of trust. I mean, it requires that you pretty much believe the person placing the order is legitimate. Uh, international commerce um, generally have you know, guaranteed letters of credit, which are somewhat complex when you really think about it. It's, it's somebody essentially saying that I'm vouching for the person that's sending this uh, purchase order out. Uh, and uh, the letter of credit is not the actual cash. It supposedly is going to be an escrow and execute. But over the years, that has really become much more of a, uh, a complex type of transaction. So, you know, the purchase orders that we're familiar with today pretty much started with the um, rise of uh, uh, the industrial age and uh, primarily the audio, uh, the, the auto industry. <laughs> thinking audio all day today. Uh, the auto industry, essentially, um, when they were starting up, especially Henry Ford, uh, they did not have anywhere near the number of machinists that they required. And uh, not only that, they didn't have access to uh, en- enough energy, enough raw materials. So they had to go around the country to find small factories and groups of workers to make specialty parts that were uh, sent by rail uh, to be assembled. Um in the early days, this would require huge warehouses, you know, and they would just buy what they would think they need. And that's how the autos, autos were built for probably up to the 1950s. 
And uh, then the wisdom came that, well, the shipping mechanisms are, are such that we can rely upon them. So what we're going to do is keep everything in the warehouses of these companies that we're buying from and, and then demand oh, it wow, show up yeah. on an exact date. It almost and, makes you know, logical sense to go in that direction of... Yeah, port, so all of a sudden... Stuff. Yeah, and this is where in just-in-time inventory concepts were being built. It's mostly been attributed to the Japanese, but the Japanese in the 1960s primarily and more in the 1970s uh, really mechanized this. A lot of it had to do with uh, the MacArthur plan and and uh, really trying to get the um, the Japanese after, their, after World War II uh, up to speed. And they, there was always this vision on how they can be more superior in manufacturing. But it worked really well in Japan because it was really a close-knit group of suppliers that were physically pretty close to each other. I mean, so it the just-in-time inventory concepts were literally the next morning the parts would show up. And so they never, some of the early Honda factories had almost no inventory rooms to speak of. The parts would show up at the back of the building all at once, all these different suppliers. They'd come in and cars would show up on the other side. I mean, it... it, it Pretty amazing, uh, you know. Simplifying, but that's pretty much what happened. So during this just-in-time inventory experiment in the 1950s, the auto manufacturers started delaying on their net terms. Now the delay has been going on for a long time. I mean, it says again, the stated terms on most purchase orders are 30 days. Well, Detroit started realizing that you know they had their suppliers pretty much on the chain and. They could delay that to 60 or 90 days without them complaining too much. And so somebody with a really sharp pencil and uh, you know an MBA probably sat there and said, boss, I think we can put everybody on net 90-day 90 ter- terms and we'll have more money for, you know, and, and you know, the next quarter will look really good to the stockholders. I mean, usually it's something really short term. And it probably did. That next quarter, they said, wow, this company's flush. So it, just kind of, it just kind of evolved over time, got longer and longer yeah. to the point. There's no, there's no. So the, so the White House is not impacting any any uh, regulatory mandate by saying you have to do it. It's really just a pledge. It's a pledge, but no. you know, in the ni- in the 1980s, it started growing rapidly uh, again with uh, Detroit. Uh, six to nine months, twelve months was not becoming uncommon for small suppliers as uh, the auto industry wow, was suffering. That's incredible. Yeah, and then in 2008. It became epidemic when the economy started really hurting in the United States. It became epidemic where all sorts of businesses were doing this to each other. Not just the very, very large, but the medium and and the large, you know, small, larger businesses. And um, it was getting out of hand. And you have to, from a leadership position, what do you do, right? You sit there and you look at this and you say, how can I, you know, how can I do this without creating draconian laws that could have unintended circumstances. In Europe, they created the laws. There haven't been very many unintended circumstances, but, you know, uh, credit to the administration is they're saying, let's see how this works. Let's see how how this really works within the economy, and let's see if people pick up on it. And the fact that they're able to get these companies to stand up and to recognize the issue and uh, to pledge is, is amazing. And at you know, at the same time, Apple announced, you know, just how large their um, buying of U.S. parts was. It, uh, I think it's seven trillion dollar uh, investment uh, that they have in the U.S. economy. This is 
this is very substantial. And um, there's this drive, especially with Apple, you know, Apple's plant in Arizona, uh, primarily my favorite sa- uh, Sapphire uh, with uh, GT Technologies. I mean, this is a significantly large operation. It's primarily solar. Uh, I believe that we're going to be seeing a whole lot of Sapphire products coming out of Apple. Uh, probably first the watch. Maybe so these the are watch this Brian. Are these? Th- this is not. Um, I'm curious. If you, sorry, maybe I'll lock track. Are these future projects descended from the White House? So this is projects Apple is thinking about. Oh, no, that, that's just Apple. Now I'm just oh. uh, digressing. So, now, the, yeah. the future. I I I don't know. I mean, um, did they did they I, give you any insight? Did you got? Do you see anything written on the whiteboards when you're? Well, I've never, never physically attended yet. Oh, okay. So, uh, okay. At some point. So I know, had a question was... regarding all this. Was this done because uh, the U.S. economy was seeing circular debt? You know, the big you guys know, not paying the small guys, and the small guys no. are not being able to pay the other guys because they've not been paid, and hence and so forth. So, not at all. Not at all. I, I don't think that, well, I can tell you from my perspective and my little part that I played is that um, that's not where I think the inception came from. The inception came from being very much like uh, as if you're a startup founder looking at the world, looking at the United States and saying, mm-hmm. where are the problems and what solutions can we make? It was very, very refreshing. And, it's almost uh, a classical case of circular debt because you know, if the small, because of the second layer, which is the most important layer, has not been paid, uh, then they will trickle it down further to their, you know, suppliers and you know uh, the people that they work with. Uh, if someone is manufacturing a small item for Apple, certainly they're running a factory themselves. You know, they're sourcing material, raw material, people, etc. And when they exactly. don't, and when they don't get paid, you know, it, it, the effect goes forward to the to their suppliers, which goes forward to their suppliers and so forth. So this is a world uh, world problem. I mean, uh, it, it it gets very complex when you start looking at uh, trade imbalances and deficits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is you know beyond my uh, uh, my deep comprehension. But I mean, if you're dealing with a product that has parts and companies from all around the world let's just even look like an you know that's why Tim Cook is a brilliant individual because mm-hmm. he he really built that supply chain for Apple and to manage all of those relationships and to get all those parts into one product on time with an incredibly low failure rate is difficult mm-hmm. but you know you know and of course that has deep you know uh, reverberations in the economy but from the White House standpoint they're just my my uh, interaction has been they're just wanting to go out there and look at where where can we be innovative where can we do something that can make some change you know but and, it, it um, looks like a classical amazing. case of you know taking your Pareto values your twenty percent of the companies that can affect eighty percent of the economy and so forth and no uh, and all the telltale signs suggest that this is a circular debt issue. Uh, maybe no one's yeah. maybe no one's talking about it, but you know it certainly affects if you have twenty or thirty companies affecting, let's say, I don't know, uh, ten, fifteen, twenty, or maybe fifty thousand businesses, uh, and they don't get paid because just because twenty, thirty companies are not releasing the funds as promised, that's an issue, you know. Yeah, but you know what it does is it creates an artificial middle economy of uh, in invoice and purchase order factors. And uh, these companies, yeah, but they erode the profit margins. I mean, they're eroding factoring 40, and, or discounting, yeah. as it's called. You know, they, they just, yeah. just because you know, if you're working with a supplier like Walmart, Walmart is very ruthless. I mean, you can read all the books about Walmart, and they'll tell you how they will 
take erode yeah. every single piece of profit that they can from you, you know, until you say no more. And that's when they sort of decide to work with you. Or or actually put you out of business. Yeah. I mean, uh, you they, know. I, and they do that. So I don't if, even know if that's an intention, but how else could it work? I mean, if, if you're keep, discounting for like 5% about, or 6%, my God, you just, you've just totally taken the profit out. Well, if you look at it, if you look at what some Walmart products, you know, let's just take U.S. companies that are selling into the Walmart ecosystem, which has become less and less. <clears throat> the typical margins that some of these manufacturers have are sometimes in the single 1% or 2% profit margin. And they're hoping to make it up in volume, that classic sort of, yeah. you know, we're keeping the factory open and we're making it up in volume. But really, it's sort of like running your car at high speed all the time in hopes that you'll, you'll catch up to something, you know. And over the decades of analysis, that, that philosophy of, well, at least we're keeping our workers moving. Or the Groupon philosophy. This is no different than what Groupon does to a lot of restaurants. It's like, well, okay, it'll keep my wait staff in tips. It'll keep the bartender in tips and we'll move people through the business and hopefully we'll get one or two regular customers. But without a, an effective plan, you don't have that. So this is, this is part of this kind of problem. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's, just, uh, it's fascinating to me to see this sort of speed and dedication, uh, you know, w- within the, the economic advisor you know, so group, it's just from, amazing from, to me. from a numbers point of view, do you have any idea of how much dollars are currently, so, so to speak, suspended because of this problem and how much will flow back into the economy once it's resolved just by these 30 companies? Faisal, this is a great question. I, I spent quite a few months digging and going into the um, into the various trade groups. There's only one trade group in the United States. There's two in Europe. And trying to get their official statistics, it was in the trillions of dollars of how wow. many, trillions of dollars of how many outstanding um, purchase orders and invoices were being financed at any given uh, time. And it's funny just how small the industry is. There was less than a thousand members in the United States factorers group and um, very close-knit group of uh, individuals, uh, you know, and I, I can't say that they're all a bad group of guys. Mm. Uh, I always, you know, factoring has a long I mean, history. they are. There's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a nah. very, you know, factoring is something that's almost considered a very Shylock type business. It's, it, it, is, it, it is looked down upon in almost all aspects of society. You can give it any fancy name, but I'm sorry, you know, it is still, it, it's absolutely taking advantage of someone I, I who wants you. money, you. you know. Well, it's like payday loans and it's like merchant cash advance. I, I, I'm on the same, you know, resonation here, but I can also say that at times, at times it does offer relief for some small businesses, but it's like anything else in credit. It can become extremely addictive. I've seen, I've seen some of my merchants who needed uh, 25 uh, more presses, you know, metal presses, right? Mm-hmm. And they just could not get bank loans. They could not find cash anywhere. Well, that's an inefficiency of you know, uh, the available capital market. It's not an inefficiency of these companies. Some have been family businesses turning products out for you know, 100 years and have contracts with uh, the government, for example, for the next 15 years, right, making a widget. So they go to the bank. The bank says no. And they're like, okay, what do I do? They, they bite the bullet and they factor, you know, 20, 30, 50% sometimes of their, of their uh, invoices or purchase orders and then wind up 
taking that cash and building the machines and then hopefully making up that profit. Well, but, you know, when they're factoring, when they're factoring, what exactly are they doing there? They're taking the invoices and and, and we're discounting how? it for future value. So what you do is something is worth $100 right now. You say, Thank listen, you. if you, if you, well, well, you say, okay, listen, you're 100% sure you'll get it in 60 days. Okay, fine. So I'm going to factor it by 5%. So that's $95 in the first month. And I'm going to factor it by 5% more. So I'm going to take 5% of 95 off. And that's approximately 91, let's say. And I'm going to give you 91 today. Yeah. Oh, I see. Or, or it, it can also be recourse and non-recourse. See, there are some non-recourse factoring environments, and that that creates a much higher factoring ratio. But that money is coming from that's coming from the uh, the purchaser. Or, no, no, it's, it, it's coming from a, from from a person who's purchasing the instrument from you. Right. Let, right, let me, right. Yeah. Let, let me let me lay it out because it is actually pretty yeah. easy to get confused. Okay. The the Department of Navy calls you up and says, we would like to buy $1 million worth of widgets delivered in 90 days, right? They send a purchase order for $1 million FOB, and uh, it says, uh, you know, 30-day terms. So let's not confuse it. The, the company is producing it, takes 90 days. After they deliver it, it'll be 30 days later. So here we are at, the, at, at day one, right? Uh, the company says, holy cow, I need to be able to get some financing to buy some some inventory. So they take a fraction or the full purchase order, deliver it to a factor, and the factor will do his mathematics and come back and say, okay, here's a ratio of what we'll pay back. Here's how much cash we'll put up front. And this is what you need to do. Now, uh, technically, some of these contracts are not allowed to be factored. And there's ways that you can do that, which are legal, but they're bending around the rules. But let's just say it's legal to factor the contracts. Some are built in and say, no, you can't do that. It's hard so if to you enforce, don't, hard if to you don't pay their, uh, their essentially their collateral is your company. No, the collateral is your. You've signed an um, irrevocable letter of credit based upon the uh, the outstanding uh, yeah, purchase they, order. They'll have first right on your uh, receivables, basically. Yeah, right. Whatever okay, so the receivables may be, from wherever they may be. A UCC in the United States, a UCC filing could take place, and that will notify the world. But there's other things that can happen in in a non uh, recourse type of scenario. That means a factorer may have a relationship with the company that's buying the goods, right? So they'll call up the company and they execute a three way contract that says, "Okay, for this invoice, you don't pay manufacturer X; you pay factorer A." You know when this invoice is um, oh, when I the see. product is complete. <clears throat> Those types of scenarios are not very common. They were pretty common in Europe, and and but you know there is some pre-manufacturing factoring is the worst. Oh yeah, yeah I it, mean that's the worst. I mean is that the, is that the old school replacement for Kickstarter? Is that what people did before Kickstarter? <laughs> pretty <laughs> much, yeah. I mean, it, but it but, but, but it, it still like, happens like, today, you know. No, it happens. But, More but, than but you know what, I, what I'm wondering is, it's, is if these 30 companies are, let's say, and I'm just going to throw an example. Let's say they're holding on to $300 billion, right? Mm -hmm. And they're easing it very slowly into the economy after maybe 10 months or nine months, which is the average payout period. If you can have them pay that out in 15 days, I mean, forget about wow. quantitative easing, you know, uh, you suddenly have $300 billion being pumped into the economy, acting as a catalyst, which will further go downstream and, you know, that can really, uh, really jumpstart the is, economy. It is Do I smell a business opportunity? Right is this, is well, this lend really up a, for businesses? 
it's not really a, a business opportunity. That's what's funny about all this. I think it's, it's more just, of an economic, mm-hmm. uh, a macroeconomic uh, variable being put right, you know? But it's just people uh, doing uh, the right thing, Faisal. You're execution, right. It, it, yeah, execution strategy, basically, yeah, on a, on a yeah, macro and, level. And, and, and guess what? The only... The only entity that could have done this successfully is the Office of the President through leadership. I mean, literally is something that you have to stand up. He he stood in front of the press, explained this in, in an immaculate way, and just really, you know, brought the problem to the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, all the all the business publications. So now it can be out in the open, and there's some embarrassment for some of these companies because they're going to be reporters that are going that are already starting yeah, to call is, up some large companies yeah. and say how long does it take for you to pay your small suppliers? Oh, um, we're nine months. You know, yeah, it's like... Uh, but you know, Brian, if I can borrow a term from your American football, it's almost like the current version of the payouts on all these invoices is unnecessary roughness, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, and, in, and this is one thing that they can come into the economy or, you know, come with, to these companies and say, listen... Unnecessary roughness, timeout. 15-yard penalty. Absolutely. 15-yard yeah, penalty. penalty, and you pay it right now. And and, and, and there's nothing to it because this is removing debt that they can remove very easily. Yeah. This is not this is not uh, gerrymandering uh, with rules and laws. It is just setting the things the the thing that should be right in the right way. And it's, it's win for everybody, so it's beautiful. But, you know, a sidestep to this, which is... Uh, sort of a different issue is something called floor planning. And um, and this is uh, an old retailer type of scenario where you effectively open up a store and you can't afford to put your inventory on the floor, right? So what happens is you find either a floor planning company, which could be a factor, or the company itself, like um, you know Yamaha, Kawasaki, motorcycles, for example. A lot of these very small dealers, they couldn't afford to have 35 bikes, motorcycles sitting on their lots. You know, that's a lot of thing. It's a lot of money. So they floor plan it. What they essentially do is they're putting the product on the floor. It's their product. And very much like um, uh, like I was talking about what Walmart does, but it's somewhat nicer. They say basically pay, pay us in 120 days based on an inventory count. If you lose something, sorry about that. You know, you're responsible for it. So we sent you... 35 motorcycles, we do an inventory count, you pay us on what's, uh, what, what's the difference. And a lot of time, the, fa- the financing for that motorcycle, Harley-Davidson used to do this, they don't need to do it anymore. Uh, the financing was factored into the entire scenario. So it was really brilliant because, again, as inventory, you as a manufacturer, you're getting all your inventory as much as you can out in the field. And you're hoping that as it's being showroom, that people will buy it. And then you got the uh, financing for it. Because um, usually on these, on these uh, showroom uh, floor planning scenarios, you actually uh, get preferential first right of refusal for the financing of the item. So that's a variation. So there's some great things in the way this works. Uh, there's some downsides to floor planning because sometimes, if you notice... Um, Back in the the nineties, uh, a lot of dealers were being shoved more and more vehicles to keep their uh, their franchise with the auto companies. They said, "Listen, you have to take five thousand a month, whether you're selling them or not, and you just keep building them up on there. And you can't resell them to other dealers, and you can't sell them at discount." It you know that almost became uh, arm, arm twisting, rock and hard. Well, it it, it it is, and it it goes on today. I mean, everybody does that. And then there's um, 
you know, uh, you know, play, paying for actual shelf space at retail stores. Um, a lot of people don't recognize that when you go into most uh, retail stores, that certain uh, shelf space is actually being purchased by the square inch no, and paid for on a monthly you bring basis. that up, though. Why is that? Why do you look at that and say, "Oh boy, that's that's a uh, business practice that is questionable"? Is slotting there- fees. Yeah, These I, are called slotting fees. Here's why. Seems legitimate okay. to me. All right. Well, yeah, and yes, and no. But it, it, it starts getting very exclusionary, and it, it, it is really a drag on the small, uh, on the small business. Uh, here's what happens. So you have this great product, and you you're not going to play the Walmart game. So you go to Target, and Target says, "Oh yeah, we'll take your product. Uh, it's going to take up um, you know 35 square inches of uh, pegboard space. Our slotting fee." Is um, ten thousand dollars a month per store? Display advertising. And it's not. Well, that's how people look. <laughs> By yeah. the way, that's what Square. That's why Square was on so many shelves, and you know that's the unknown thing. Everybody thought that Target called them up and said, "Please, I want to carry it." It was the other way around. Rack jobbers who are a rack jobber owns a rack or a space of rack uh, racks at a particular retail store. And their job uh, is to job that rack. They, they literally put it on the pegboards, they maintain it, and they, they sell it. They can sell it like an advertising unit, if you will. Uh, the problem is, you know, to gain access as a small company to the, to the slot, slots in these stores is pretty minimal. I mean, you have to literally have millions and millions of dollars behind you. And then there's shrinkage. These are products that you don't get back. Again, a lot of cases, you're just supplying it for free. You know, again, in payments, in a case of Square, Square gave the card readers to Target and so all these other that? stores. That seems well, fine. I'm not saying there's something wrong, okay? But let's let's move to another item. Let's move to potato chips, right? Check out your, in the U.S., check out your potato chip aisle or your uh, beverage aisle in most you know, grocery stores, you'll see that it's basically one or two brands and there'll be a few independent brands way off in a corner, probably dusty and put in sideways and all kinds of stuff. And uh, very likely that person that had that brand, uh, if they're a small entrepreneur, paid for that slot slot at that store, either regionally or nationally. Um, do they get the best treatment? Well, again, it is buyer beware. A lot of these small entrepreneurs don't recognize what they're buying into. It's like buying really bad advertising, like um, sure, you know, paper. Sure. Let's say you pay, um, you know, paper impression at Google Gmail, right? Let's just say somehow they sold that advertising. Right. And you go, hey man, I'm only paying you know a millionth of a penny per impression, and you know that nobody sees it, right? And it's even sure. paper. Hey, Brian, like that. Brian, I had a question. So on this sure. uh, thing that President Obama has done. And hopefully billions of dollars will be released. How do you see that trickling down into the economic numbers that may come up in the next one or two quarters? I, I think its long-term effect is is what I'm really looking for because if we can do you really... See, do you think we'll see a spike? Back, we're definitely going to see a spike. It, it, just with the 26 companies and more that have probably jumped on since then. Not uh, a spike this in those a, companies, though. You're talking no, about no. a spike. You know, you're going to see a spike in the economy. You're going to see new job creation. There's no doubt. Okay, just by what we saw on Friday, there's no doubt there's going to be job creation. That's number one. Because basically what these companies are going to do, they're going to be flush with cash. They have these contracts already. 
And the thing that they were really dragging on usually is job creation. They, they just stretch the people they have out and they give them longer hours. Things like this, when you can get paid quicker and you have really good bona fide contracts with IBM or Apple, you say, oh, let's hire two more, uh, two more workers, we'll speed up the production line, uh, et cetera. Uh, you may have more marketing and advertising, unlikely, uh, but that's possible. You definitely see companies grow. So see a uh, companies in the SMBs, not in the corporate companies. There's no, no, there's no outstanding advantage to that. Uh, well, yes, long term. Okay, so what, hap- what trickles back up is that you have a more innovative, robust, uh, small and medium-sized business marketplace in the United States. And that creates higher profitability for the companies because they have better quality parts, uh, more innovation. The reason why Apple is buying so many parts in the United States, some of it is... You know, they want to try to support the U.S. economy. And some of it is they want to be able to get it quicker without all of the, the overhead and, and, and shipping that comes from buying pallets coming on boats from uh, China. So, you know, they're utilizing rail, which is s- significantly less costly to get the parts rolled in. And uh, so what happens is by bolstering up this level of the economy, Apple's going to have far more access to uh, these small businesses. Instead of seeing them receding, I think that recession is going to stop to some degree and reverse its trend. And over time, as these companies can get paid faster, you know, in, in my view and in, in my fantasy, the, the speed of pay, payment should pretty much be the instant you receive the goods. That's where I'd love to see it. 15 days is beautiful. All right. Yeah, that would make sense. Almost like every other business in the world, right? When you go in and buy something, Ex- you have to pay for it immediately. Exactly, exactly. And and the fact that we're we're still hobbled by this, you know, early industrial revolution uh, lack of innovation, it was was mind blowing to me. And and to see, um, you know, to see these incredible people, really, I, I just think they're incredible for putting a program like this together rapidly and getting the president to act on it in a decisive way and to get the people involved uh, really blew me away. I mean, I, you know, I, again, I didn't get very many opportunities in my life to be too close to politics for a lot of reasons by choice. But uh, actually seeing this in action was um, very motivational to me to see that. Uh, I always thought part. that everything took but, for decades, you know. Yeah. Right, so maybe this is almost a question more for you, but Brian too. Is this problem or an opportunity rather in in other countries as well? I think is it the same sort of ecosystem. Circular debt uh, exists almost in every country that I know of. Uh, very very few economies have, don't have it, but majority of the world has it. The developing world has it, and it's almost like a, it's almost like a hydra. You know, for example, if you were to take the example of Apple. They want to make more and more iMacs, more and more iPhones, and push them out to the public, etc. And hopefully, you know, that more and more people will buy them. But if they start holding back on the payments to the suppliers, these suppliers also have family members who would like to buy an iMac or an iPhone, and they can't. The reason, you know, they don't have the money. Their money's been held up because their dad didn't get paid uh, for the factory he worked for, yeah, and so forth. So, and, and this is, and this is not just. It's, it's not a very complex product or it's not a very complex uh, payment instrument that you're sort of holding on to. It's a very simple, it, it's a very simple thing. You're holding on to the money that you should have released long time ago. You're essentially running your operations in, in many manners uh, on the money of your suppliers. Uh, the cost yeah. of funding for you is zero. So yeah. it is, it is a huge issue. Uh, and I think if, if, you know, it'd be interesting to see 
if more companies get on this thing, uh, get on the bandwagon, and this does become law, let, let's hope it does uh, in some manner. It would, know, it would be a it would be a huge huge thing. I mean, I cannot even. You have to understand. Why doesn't free market win in that situation? You know, if you if you look on the side of like, you know, a, a libertarian or something, they would say virtually that the the more law and regulation you introduce to the system, the the worse off you are long term. Well, you know, it's, if you start it, to it, well, well it, again, it's 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 a matter of being fair. I provided you the goods; you owe me money. But there's an un, you know underwritten rule that says that if I ask for my money, I'm no longer a supplier for you. I mean, yeah. How, how does that work? Yeah, you know, and 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 the free market does work. You know, when it's allowed to, and there's times when it really, it's really kind of contorted. And this is a uh, classic well, case for a government to step in. A classic case, you know. You know, and and it's funny you you brought the whole thing about being able to buy a product. Henry Ford was actually a big believer in this, ironically, again, going back to the Industrial Revolution and the automobile. Uh, he walked out in his factory floor, probably I think it was about a year into building these, and he said, how come none of my workers can afford my cars? And he completely turned the company upside down. I mean, they almost wanted to get him certified insane, literally. He <laughs> said, I'm not going to stop until everybody who works for me can afford to drive in on a Ford automobile. And um, he didn't stop there. He said, the same goes to all my suppliers. And that's the other part of the story that most people don't recognize. Henry went around and said, you know, what am I doing where you can't afford to buy my automobile? So he literally set the price and then he challenged his workers to make it profitable, it's similar what Steve Jobs did with the ninety-nine cent iTunes, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, you work uh, backwards. You know, you work backwards. Yeah, and 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 so he was really great with suppliers. I mean, he would build really tight relationships. He would um, uh, he would attend. Uh, you know, uh, graduations for uh, for the daughters and sons of some of his suppliers, uh, godfather for some of them. You know, it was really a nice uh, sort of environment, and and that's when the markets are working good, when everybody sees that there's an ecosystem. The problem is, on a world stage, this all breaks down because it becomes more political, and and it becomes currency uh, uh, things, and mm-hmm. you know, it it gets it gets really. Uh, complex. So, uh, you know, I hope to see that this becomes uh, a, sort of a mandate, an automatic thing. Uh, I think, uh, you know, leadership is the best way to approach this. But I think if large businesses don't keep their commitments and don't uh, see how important this is, it probably will become mandated in a very significant you know, there's way. A, there's a counter argument that people will say, well, these companies aren't really holding on to that cash and uh, they're investing this cash into the stock market, etc. I doubt it because I doubt that the well, money the money that, that is due would be invested into equities or uh, maybe government bonds, but, but you know, certainly not risky elements or uh, risky... You know, Payment uh, avenues. You identified it quite exactly. And that is, this is money that has already been due and payable Mm. to a business. It's not yours to play with. And we can speculate on what a criminal does. Let's just say somebody steals your money, you know, a million dollars and invests it and does great things with it. The money is still not theirs. 
and it's still not fair that that money is not being delivered to the party. Yeah, and on, and answering to Mike's question, you know, a free economy and free market. Well, this is exactly the kind of laws you need that if if this is money owed to a supplier, you cannot right. invest it elsewhere. And hence the government oversight or maybe a regulatory oversight, maybe on a state level or a federal level, but, you know, nonetheless. Well, certainly the, the it's security almost, It's almost exchange. closer to a legislative branch. You know, it's almost like I think government is pure when they have the the legislative branch to allow people to prosecute and and mandate in a an efficient system well, for well, determining. I'll give you I'll give you an analogous example. How would you feel if the bank started trading with your deposit money? <laughs> right, right. You know, well, you, know, you can't and, have your money today. No, you can't have your yeah, money exactly. today. We're going to give it to you in ninety days. And suddenly, Sorry. and suddenly, you say, "Well, hold on. Where's the legislator?" Well, in this case, I guess all these thousands and thousands of workers and families and businesses are perhaps seeing the same thing. Where's the legislator? You know, when it comes to this thing. Or I, I, Apple is not being fair to me, or Boeing is not being fair to me, or, or you know, Ford is not being fair to me, Caterpillar is not being fair to me, and you know, my money's stuck. Yeah, it's just a matter of enforcing enforcing the laws, and uh, you know, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, for example, could go after public companies, and they can literally ask for an audit. How quickly are you paying your paying your suppliers? Mm. Well, why is that important to the Securities and Exchange Commission? Because that money is showing on the books of these companies. It's a liability. It really is. That's right. It should really be, you know, I don't know how it's being showed. I know that there are gap requirements generally agreed upon practices in accounting that should signify this money correctly. But I'm, well, I'm not only certain, I've seen times when that money has been uh, listed on the wrong column. So I think it's important that people just follow those uh, those steps. Uh, there's no There's no greater good that a big company is doing with all that cash that could not be countered in well, the hands you know, of the people you know, uh, how, how most circular debt starts. It starts with the, you know, let's hold on to the money for 30 days. Our books will look good. Sure. Uh, 32 days, our books will look good. Oh, let's just hold it for another week. Our books will look good because it's, 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 an, it's cash in hand, you know. It is liability, but it's cash in hand nonetheless. And, and if you're living quarter to quarter, like a lot of, you know, uh, marginal co- Corporate America com- does. Yeah, a lot of marginal public companies are doing. They they thrive on whatever technique they can do to just get another bump in the stock. Mm. And it's uh, it's sad, but that that's you can see that that's how it started. So when when Mike was talking about the libertarian aspect to this, well, you know, if you're going to be a public company, you should be operating under the rules and guidelines that are established, and that is to operate in a very legal and ethical way. I would say from a very legal way, if you're if you owe somebody money and you're not paying them, you're probably breaking a number of laws within the Security and Exchange Commission. If it was really, you know, dotted I and T crossed, and you know, you're probably violating a number of state laws. But nobody's going after anybody for this because, again, it comes down to that small contractor. You know, absolutely, can he go to court? He can go to court. Absolutely, he can get a lawyer. Not financially worth it for him. No, yeah, no, but it's you, worse you, than that. You know, he's you, out of business you, because basically every purchase order, basically the purchase order divisions of a lot of companies, they all know each other. It's a relatively small 
group of individuals. I mean, these are incredibly powerful individuals. They know where to find goods. They know how to negotiate, and they have their own trade groups. And I've I've come to meet these uh, individuals, and they're extremely extremely sharp. Uh, a lot of them come from the the military, uh, working within the army for mm-hmm. a, you know, purchase and acquisition. And in either way, if you've if you've become a belly aker, uh, probably everybody's going to know about you. There's going to be a mark on your on your front door that only they know. And they're going to say, well, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to do business with you because, you know, you went and sued, um, you know, FedEx for, you know, $3 million. And, right. You, you know, know it, it's, like, it's, yeah. like a, it's like a business that has its money tied up. And yeah. the roofing contractor comes in and he says, you know, you need a new roof. And he says, well, I can't afford it because money's with Apple. Now, if he had the money, the roofing contractor gets money. The roofing contractor probably hires four people. They get money. You know, so it, it trickles down and it keeps expanding. Uh, it's, so it flourishes. So it, you, it, it, it does so a right, lot. Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. And it, it, the consequences can be uh, of great magnitude for the economy. Now, do you see this in Pakistan? I mean, are you, are you seeing it as often? Is it, is it a known issue? Yeah, is yeah. It uh, about? Uh, so one of the biggest things in Pakistan is uh, uh, circular debt within the power industry. So the people who generate the power, uh, they pay it to distribution companies, distribution distributed, and then they go collect the money. Well, guess who's not paying? The government is not paying. So when the government doesn't pay, uh, it, it's, it starts this whole thing or the government says, well, I'm not going to pay you all, all of it right now. We'll pay you in 90 days. And it, the same sequence starts all over again. So the suppliers have to reduce their power, uh, their, their output capacity. Wow. Uh, and, you know, uh, so power shortages start, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's a huge mess. But circular debt is a, it, it, it's a monster to deal with, it really is. So, so would would that be on the front page of the newspapers? Would the average uh, citizen know that the government's delaying payments to the power company, and that's why your TV is not running or the Absolutely. air conditioner is off? Absolutely, not only the wow. front page. I mean, uh, governments can be bought down because of this thing. Wow. wow, wow! See, I didn't know about that. And and is this just in your region, or no? It's it's the greater almost, region. It's almost in every developing country. For example, Brazil had this issue with their shipbuilding industry and their beef industry. You know, they would export beef, and you know, the money would not come in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Spain had a huge uh, issue with um, circular debt because of a lot of government spending went down, and the government spending, you know, not not only did it go down, but they held back on the funds. And when they had held back on the funds, so many many people got affected. And circular debt became a huge issue. So it's in almost every economy. Every economy. I mean, you know, you you think U.S. is one of the most advanced economies, and you know, here we are discussing the classical definition of circular debt. Yeah, I don't think anyone ever said we're the most advanced in the in the back end payment infrastructure. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. But uh, yeah, it's it's just good to see this sort of leadership. I mean, it's good to see but that there's great something going, Brian. Done. Very happy to know that something like this came out, and you were uh, you know glad to be very glad that you were a part of it. Yeah, I let me ask you, fell Brian, into if, it. <laughs> if you think um, you know, in, in in one sentence, if you were to say the next big project that they should look at, the next big project that the White House should give its attention um, for the general economy, maybe maybe in payments, maybe not in payments. Where where do you think that they should? Their point, their point, their nose. Oh my gosh! Faisal, you, you have to answer this one too. Just you know, one category, right? Like, yeah, whether well, it's ACH well, transfers, whether it's um, you know, I, I think 
I think uh, what I've learned is that the desire to be on the front edge of innovation uh, within um, uh, this part of the White House is is very high. I mean, there's a high desire to look at the innovations that mm. are taking place mm. and to try to see what kind of leadership the government can play, not to chase after it, but to actually champion it. And and to me, I think that's that's incredible. It's historic. And uh, there's a lot of opportunity. And so I, I believe that we're going to see more of a desire to understand the complexities that technology is solving real problems and looking at things like the ACH networking, looking at things that are taking too long, uh, that are really not serving people that are involved in it, in these systems. There's like saying, well, it was here before I got here and I just make sure that I put duct tape here and, mm. and I, I don't mess with it. And a lot of times it takes a leader to stand up and say, okay, we it almost maybe, uh, you know, look at a reinvention. And uh, a lot of times industry is so, especially highly regulated industry like banking, uh, when you look at the free market, you say, well, can't they just do it on their own? Well, they're so regulated that sometimes they've, they've got themselves hogtied. So would you, say, would you say banking? Is that, is that where you think they should look at in terms, like what specifically would you think that, that would be the most sort of inefficient system? I well, would say my vote, my vote is just they should look at the, the ACH house, right? To, to take uh, three to five days to send payments um, I feel it in our business. We get burned on it every day, hundreds of times. Yeah. Um, and I know this is, you know, a problem millions of people experience. Is why does it take three days to send payments? And well, maybe that's well, well, look at it this way: thirty-seven trillion dollars processed in twenty twelve. Thirty-six, thirty-seven yeah. trillion dollars. Yeah. Approximate income made from it, it. It's anyone's guess, but somewhere between twenty-four and thirty-six billion dollars. There is no doubt in my mind. If you want economic agitation, that that is basically. You have an economy that is not stagnant, but is agitated, is moving like like a swarm of bees. The the only solution is faster payments, and faster means instant payments. Yeah, and any economy yeah. that is implemented a faster payment switch has seen its numbers go up. Yes, you will lose out on your existing revenue stream, but you will make much much more because they'll the it's volume like any- the volumes will just shoot up. It's like any classic, this would be classic disruption to some level, right? And in any classic disruption, you know, there are great opportunities for existing players not to, quote unquote, dominate it again or monopolize it necessarily, but there's great opportunity. You know, I think it's very obvious from the shows that we do and and the people I've talked to that, you know, the youth are not going to visit the bank just like they're not going to buy, you know, a, a VHS tape or a CD, you know, I, at being out at Warp Tour, I talked to, which is, um, you know, a music tour that goes around the United States in the summer. I talked to lots and lots of people, very young people, 14, 16 years old. They have never purchased any form of media on a physical substance. They don't have DVDs. They don't have mm. CDs. They will never know what that's like. And guess what? They will probably never walk into the bank other than to visit the ATM machine. Great. <laughs> So here's what's going to happen. As that generation grows and moves through the economy, their relationship with the bank, like Brett King has mentioned and others in our show, um, is going to change dramatically. And if the bankers, this is a wake-up call. A lot of it has to do with, you know, what it, what what does a bank serve and what, what is its relationship with a modern, uh, you know, in a modern context with our technology. Mm. But also, 
the frustration that you're experiencing and Faisal is experiencing if he needs somebody in the U.S. to send him payment, et cetera, uh, the, the movement of money is extraordinarily complex. And it is it is somewhat tied to politics and, and laws because it's so regulated. It's so highly regulated. And if you're an existing stakeholder, you pretty much want nobody to mess with your cheese. You just want to, to kind of go along. And that's pretty much how the financial sector has been for decades. But on the other side of that, you don't ever want to see people lose money. So a lot of times regulators doing what they think is the good thing, they'll overregulate because they don't want to see grandma lose, you know, her life savings because the so Brian, bank you think, operated irresponsibly. So, okay, makes sense. I'll take, I'll take your answer as the effective uh, uh, general banking. We'll I think so. I, 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 I think, think yeah, banking, banking is one of those things where, you know, the bankers have failed to see the fine writing on the wall that nothing lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think cool. leadership can change that. I think having having bold leaders uh, pretty much almost do like um, you know also uh, industry did experts. With the moon. I think you know yeah. honestly, no joke. They're smart for bringing you in, right? People who obsess about and think about these things all the time on the inside that may not work for one particular company. You know, you're unbiased in in large part. So you know, go White House for bringing Brian in, and uh, we hope well, to hear I'm more honored, about uh, your. Uh, we hope to hear more and see you on stage. Uh, very I, soon. I don't. I don't know about that. I mean, I'm just honored to have a small part, and uh, you know, if it's just me, uh, you know, giving some of my knowledge, and if I can be of help, I, I you know, I'm I'm really uh, more than happy. And uh, uh, like good, I said, it does a great on you. thing. Good on yeah, you. Thanks, Brian. All right, guys, this is really interesting. Brian Faisal really enjoyed it. Thank you, gentlemen. Touch base you, next week. Bye bye. Bye bye. Right, take care. Bye bye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.